everybody welcome to the 253rd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh beaverton oregon have a pimple on the right side of my nose and and i am fucking with it i want to pop it really bad like before you got here i was just looking at my computer screen like just trying to pop this nose pimple so i'm doing all right though uh Ready to talk about this one-in-one start for our Trailblazers. And for all of the listeners who didn't drop off and are still listening after that wonderful intro by you, uh, <laughs> uh, let's let's kick it off with a new segment that we're going to be rolling out to start each episode. So I was just sitting on the couch, I think, one after work one day, and I'm like, you know, how can we kind of summarize the, the week that is? And then get into the details. And I was like, what about the good, the bad, and the ugly? Like, there's always some good, there's always some bad, and there's always something you never want to talk about ever again, but you kind of need to. So we're going to kick it off with the good. Sage, give me the one, your your the best thing you saw this week about Trailblazer basketball. First off, I got to say, there are shows about popping pimples, so some people are really into it. But... I don't think that's our, our audience, <laughs> but let's... <laughs> so I, I think that the no- number one thing is C.J. McCollum's scoring versatility. He would J.J. Redick sprint into a spot, catch it, and shoot. And you've never seen that throughout his entire uh, career, where he would just be a movement shooter, get to his spots, and launch. He would drive to the rim go for layups, floaters, the versatility and how he scored was really impressive. And then you saw the effort, like he was, he was feeling himself. So, so he participated more defensively, but I would say his versatility offensively was what got me the most excited for this first two games. I think hands down, it was the NBA 75 team. The Trailblazers were awarded with three players on the prestigious 75th anniversary roster. Most people assumed that Clyde Drexler and Bill Walton would be uh, holdovers because they were members of the 50 greatest uh, team back in 96, 97, which they were. But to my surprise, I have the pregame on, on Thursday, the TNT game. And I see Damian Lillard pop up and do I think he's one of the 75 greatest? Yeah, probably. But did I expect it to happen? Absolutely not. This is a player who has been passed over for all-star appearances by the likes of Gordon Hayward, yet he ends up as an all-NBA member at the end of the season. It was just kind of nice to see a player, especially in a small market, especially for a franchise that the Blazer fans have always kind of got the short end of the stick. And it came up roses for us this time. And I was really happy that Damian Lillard's the voters saw that it wasn't just a team award. I mean, you saw a lot of players from dynasties get, get honored as, as they probably should. Winning a championship is illustrious and very difficult. Only one team does it each year, but there are a lot of good fucking players like Dominique Wilkins, who I was really glad to see get his, his recognition after getting left off of the, the NBA at 50 roster, make the 75 team. Damian Lillard is one of the best point guards of all time. 
And had the roster been better, he's probably going to get more deep playoff runs. He's going to get more national exposure. But he is the unequivocal leader of a franchise. He is loyal. He has some of the most memorable moments of all time. And he's durable. He's available. That's something a lot of players can't can't say. And he's a great teammate. So um, shout out to all three of those Blazers uh, who made it. Uh, Sage, did you have any qualms with anybody on that list? I know there was talk about uh, the, the name that I saw the most was, was Dwight Howard. I had no problem with, with Dwight being left off that list, but did you have any issues with the roster or any snubs or anybody that you thought like really should have made it? You know, 75 is just such a difficult number to put, you know, these players in. So the ranking system if you have that limit of a number, it's always going to negatively affect someone. I was just happy to see that my guy was in there. And Dame has to be the second youngest person on the list, right? Wouldn't Anthony be the youngest? Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, he, he's pretty good, too. He's pretty good, too. So, I mean, he's one of the youngest players in this in this illustrious list, and that's just uh, really like giving him his flowers for the, the fantastic job that he's done as a uh, – member of the Portland Trailblazers. We have someone remarkably special running point. And, you know, it's kind of an honor to see him play ball, especially this year, man, with all this, with all the smoke in the uh, air with him. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that only four members of the 75 team were drafted in 2010 or later. You had Kawhi, who was drafted in 2011, Dame and AD in 2012, and Giannis was the, the most recent in 2013. So there definitely wasn't that kind of projection that they did for Shaquille O'Neal when he made the, the 50th greatest uh, roster back in 96, 97, when he was drafted in 92. So uh, I, I heard people maybe thinking about Luca, but I, I'm kind of glad they pumped the brakes on that one. Overall, I, I saw a lot of people say the list was terrible. I really didn't think so. I think you have to give players before that we were born their due. Like they were good in their era, and I think that's how you have to judge it. How dominant were they in their era? Because yeah, you you can't 50, compare George Mikan to Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, it's 50, it's, it's such a different game. A hundred years from now, players like Dame, MJ, LeBron, they're going to be like, who? Those guys are weak. Like, we've got oh, they're going to think, they're gonna think Russ foot, is going to be awful, you know, bro. Point guards. Yeah. Like, Russ will be awful in 20 years or 40 years. Like, the game's going to change. So, you know, post-dominant players in the 80s and 90s, you know, like, in today's standards, I mean, it's fun to watch, but it's not sustainable. The game's going to always change, and it's good to pay homage to the people that made the change. And I would honestly say, like, some guards in today's league would absolutely get eaten alive by Trey Young. Trey Young would be a bad player. James Harden. I mean, if you aren't able to to play through contact or manipulate the defense and the officials, I think you're going to have a bad time. So it's, I always like to look at it era focus. How good were they in their era? Overall, I really liked the list. I thought there were three players that I wouldn't have a problem if they were removed. And I kind of did some some research on it. Like Lenny Wilkins, I think he got in more because he was a, a prominent player coach. Um, David Bushard, still, he did a lot for the league, though. Like, I, I still think there were players more, more 
uh, deserving. Uh, Dave DeBusher was another. He played for those 70s Knicks. And I, I remember reading about him in uh, When the Garden Was Eden. So that was an NBA 30 for 30. I also read the book. He was kind of like the great white hype who ended up turning into like a super role player. Like they were carried by Willis, Earl the Pearl, Walt Frazier, you know, all, all of those guys. So I think he got in again, dynasty type of dynasty type of things. And I'm honestly surprised Anthony Davis made it. Uh, I don't think he has earned it personally. He's um, Megatron, bro. Uh, some players, like I'm not going to say like I would remove those three and then put three in, but I, I did find six players that I thought, okay, you could put them in there and I'm, I'm not going to be upset at all. Like I, I think Joe Dumars really stuck out to me. As a GM, he deserves to be in the top 75, right? Yeah, part of <laughs> one of the best defenses. I mean, he's a part of an iconic team, the Bad Boys Pistons. Everyone knows about those Pistons. He defended Jordan probably better than anybody in history. Um, and he had his way with the Blazers in the 1990 NBA Finals. Won them a couple of games. He was just a, a marksman. Uh, Nikola Jokic, MVP doing things that we haven't seen a big man ever do. I It may be projecting a bit, but I would be okay with that. He is a lot like Damian Lillard when he's durable. He is you know, loyal to his team, and he leads that franchise. I just think he's done enough with that MVP. He's played in the Western Conference Finals. Um, he's carried. I mean, he, he's carried that franchise. Ginobili and Parker, uh, again, it feels weird that the Spurs really only got Tim Duncan and David Robinson when they've been so good for so long. Artis Gilmore, uh, the Blazers went through Gilmore and the Bulls in the first round of the 77 playoffs. One of the best big men of the seventies, uh, surprised he didn't make it. And in clay Thompson, I think he's better than some of the two guards that, that made the list. You're looking at a player who, I don't know if there's any player that that has ever walked this earth that can score 60 points on 11 dribbles. I mean, just one of the the best players, catch and shoot, move without the basketball, good defense, probably the most clutch warrior during those runs. Everyone's going to remember that game six in OKC where he just went bananas. Um, I did think he got snubbed a little bit, but overall happy with the list and really happy to see three Blazers uh, end up in the NBA top 75 of all time. What was your bad for the week? We can only really talk about one game for a bad because the offense was so hot. The second game where our deficiencies will cut, were kind of masked, but I would say my bad and ugly are combined and it can be either, or I think our defense was bad, but our pick and roll defense was worse. So I would put pick and roll defense as the ugly one. There are times and situations where we need to do drop coverage and there's times and situations where we need to do a hedge and, you know, fight back. Consistently switching Cody Zeller onto De'Aaron Fox is like the most unfair thing I can possibly imagine putting a big man through. Fox is one of, is probably the fastest player in the league with the ball in his hands. And to put Cody Zeller, who is remarkably mobile for a big man, but he's still a big man that's seven feet that he can't move his feet fast enough to stop De'Aaron. That was the ugly because the Kings could consistently go to set a screen, full switch. De'Aaron would just play with his food and drive directly on Cody Zeller. And there's nothing that we can do because speed is a humongous factor in this game. So to see the full switch of the, the pick and roll and having a team 
take advantage of it. It was so ugly. For me, my bad was Dame and CJ combining to shoot the ball 48 times against the Sacramento Kings. Um, You really don't have much other contributions from the rest of the squad. Uh, Norman and Robert each attempt nine. Yusuf got got 10 shots. The bench isn't getting getting up hardly any looks. I get it. The, this team is built around Damon CJ. They have been really since LaMarcus Aldridge left for the San Antonio Spurs. That's been their identity for so long. But I would challenge that identity and say, where has it gotten the Trailblazers? It hasn't gotten them really that far. When you're hanging your hat on the Western Conference Finals appearance where you didn't even win a game, and that happened three seasons ago, uh, I think you need to look in the mirror. And I thought they did a much better job against the Phoenix Suns. Granted, that game was way out of hand and they they played significantly fewer minutes, but the shot distribution is much better. They only combined for 30 field goal attempts against the Suns, whereas you also have Ant getting up 14, Nas getting up 10. Norm got his... Norm got eight, and that's before he got hurt. So he got eight in 13 minutes. I mean, so just imagine know. if he kept on that pace. So you're paying Norman. I know you're paying an, just an exuberant amount for the Damon CJ backcourt, but that is never going to work with them shooting the majority of the shots at that type of, of a clip. You have to share the sugar somewhat. And you're paying Norman Powell to be an undersized three. The best thing he can do is score the basketball. At, at, that, at that position, at what you put him in, so you have to give him shots. You have to give him looks. You have to get him going. That was the bad. They corrected that against the Phoenix Suns. My ugly was Robert Covington's off-ball defense on Harrison Barnes. Um, so I'm listening to the game, and it's Harrison Barnes for three. That's good. Well, Harrison Barnes open again. And I was like, God damn, like, what's going on so then obviously the nba puts out highlight packages 10 to 15 minutes long every single three cove over helping helping off of barnes when he doesn't need to you need to correct that when there is a player that scorching hot having a literal career night in the case of harrison barnes who he poured in 36 points eight of 11 from downtown and really never ever cooled off you just don't leave him you, you just stay in the vicinity and say you four guys against their four guys and you have to make it work. You ha- It's almost like a, a shutdown quarter in football. You are just guarding this receiver and you're taking him out of the game. You're going to make other players beat you. And this is a thing we've seen with the Blazers in the past. They uh, Someone will get hot and there will be no adjustments made. And we're just going to almost say, hey, you'll, you'll cool down, right? And it, and it never happens. So that was my ugly for the week. I think it really cost Portland a shot at, at going 2-0 to start the season. Yeah, I would say it was when I was watching it, I was like, why is Robert pressing half court? He's just going to get burnt by De'Aaron because De'Aaron is so fast. And then him scram- like it was a scrambled drill to get back to Harrison. But when uh, De'Aaron has such a speed advantage, it's like, okay, I get past you and I'm going to throw it to the open man. And it's, it's simple basketball. Like it was the, the aggression of trying to help was just destroying our team. And it's shocking, I would say, because Robert Covington is known for his off ball defense. And 
you would think a player who has made first team all defense would be more aware. Like he, he, he normally has a nice high IQ on the defensive side of the ball. So it was shocking to see it. It, it is a player that Portland Trailblazers spent two first round picks to acquire. So there is a lot of investment in Robert Covington an unrestricted free agent. You, you can't be making those, those type of mistakes. So whether that's on Covington to make the adjustment himself, have the own self-awareness to say, I need to stay on my man, or it's the coaching staff to either A, put somebody else on Harrison Barnes or call it out to him. I mean, Barnes was hot from, from tip to final buzzer. It's not like it just happened in, in the, you know, in the bad of an eye. It was all 48 minutes long. Do you remember Garrett Temple in the Brooklyn game where Dame in the bubble was just scorching hot and he was yes. telling his teammate, I don't care if that's Michael Jordan, you are staying on Damian Lillard. Yep. Like I, we need to have a vet like that, that can approach players and be like, I don't care if that's Michael Jordan, you have to stay on your man. Cause I think if, if Garrett did that for Covington, I think we probably would have won the game. Harrison would have gone five for nine instead of eight for however many. I mean, who is the vet on our team? It's Damon CJ. That's the problem, I think. I was thinking about that while I was uh, preparing for the show, and I was thinking about that Western Conference Finals run, and I was like, well, Ant didn't play. Nurk was hurt. Everyone's gone. It's just Damon CJ. There has just been so much roster turnover around the edges. Like, you don't have any holdovers. You don't have the the Ed Davises. You know, the Evan you Turners. Yeah, you don't have the Joel Prisbillas, you know, you don't you don't even have a, like a Steve Blake who we brought in for a stint in the 2015 season. You, you don't have that that player who's willing to just be like, everybody shut up, I'm speaking and everybody listens. Like there's one thing for a coach to say something, but I think a player's voice holds a different type of weight. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's ever been addressed or added in so well, I think Neil probably thinks that Damon CJ can do everything. And that's unfair to them. It, it gets some like Rajon Rondo has been available for the past three off seasons. Who? Rajon Rondo. That'd be a fun. That would be fun. But like, just get someone who's been through it that they respect. Even like a player development coach that has been there, done it. Like even getting someone like that, like the Pelicans have Corey Brewer. He's not anything special, but. Team players respect him. So well, when he does his player Vanderpool, who was a former uh, player yeah, like well. just having someone to connect, and you can't have like Chauncey Billups being the guy that is your buddy and the head coach. So you need somebody in the organization to just be like, you can't do this, like the, how Garrett Temple did with the Nets. Yeah, I mean the, the problem is. Outside of Norman Powell, nobody on this roster has won anything. You, Cody Zeller, his whole career with the Charlotte Hornets. I don't think they've ever won more than like two playoff games in eight, in eight seasons. Um, Larry Nance Jr. played when the Lakers were terrible, then got shipped off to Cleveland post LeBron. So you knew who that, how that how that ended. And you just have a bunch of young players, either f- from Portland's uh, own farm system, like Nas and Ant and, and Ellaby. Or you got also Rams who they're trying to rebuild their career like mm-hmm. a Dennis Smith Jr. You yeah, like Ben McLemore is not, like yeah. Ben McLemore is somebody Robert Covington is, isn't going to respect his opinion in the level that like of a, a, a legit vet vet. And it seems like Cubs only played on like second round caliber teams. Like there just isn't 
I mean, uh, that's why like Mello was important last exactly. year because people respected what Carmelo Anthony said. Who like Cody Zeller approaching you isn't really going to have the impact that Carmelo Anthony is. Well, I, I mean, I like Zeller. I think he's good, but what what have you won, good sir? Yeah, and that's where I think you're putting too much of the burden on your starting backcourt to handle all of the locker room Everything. business. That, Everything. That, that, that's unfair, and I think it leads to burnout uh, mentally because you're trying to lead a team while also police 14 other guys in the locker room and have eyes everywhere. That That's not – you need somebody that that's just their role. like that. You, you need a man ahead. in there that people respect. Like when we had like Earl Watson and Mo Williams, like mm-hmm. Darrell Wright, those those that those that team, excuse me, um, that team really respected the, those veterans, especially Earl Watson, because he was uh, Terry took him under his wing. He knew he wanted to become a head coach, and he was kind of like a pseudo coach on, on the floor. And I, I just don't see that. So it'll be interesting to see if the Blazers how the season goes, if they look like they're contending for a solid playoff spot, if they make, I mean, that's where you want to make a move around the edges. You don't have to swing for the fences there. That's that's, we're not asking for the moon here, but you'll see how serious this franchise is. Or there was a report in the athletic that uh, the Blazers are over the the luxury tax and maybe a guy like Anthony Simons could be moved just to get under there. So you'll see, You'll see advocated, yeah. yeah, I'm not advocating for getting under the luxury tax, but you'll see like management is going to show their true colors. Well, they already have, but it'll be even more clear what their intentions are at, around the deadline. Like how serious are they about competing? And, you know, Dame's the fact that we have play. an extra open roster spot and an open two way spot. Yeah. It, it shows something like Kenneth Fareed isn't going to do anything on the basketball court, but I think that he could have been that vet to talk to Robert Covington in game one. Like I get that you want to have flexibility, but there are vets in this league that are looking for an opportunity. And if their opportunity comes with mentorship, I think people that have been in the league long enough will understand that and really take that challenge on. I mean, like, how many jobs in the world can you make veteran minimum minimum salary in in you know eight months out of the year? Not many. Yeah, yeah. That's so. Dame Dame is saying all of the right things right now. Like he's the poor guy keeps getting asked, "Are you staying in Portland?" And he's emphatically saying, "Yes, I'm not leaving." But you are a fool and you are naive if you don't think he's has his eyes open or his team around him has their eyes open. If you, if, if the Blazers decided to dump Ant to go into the luxury tax, he's gone. Like he, he'll, he'll, he'll see the writing on the wall. Yeah. Like he, he knows, like he's saying the right thing now, like he, he's doing the, the thing to get the pressure off of the organization just for, you know, a bit, let, let the, let the, let them, let it, let it be the easiest part of his job in yeah. playing basketball. Let the temperature heat up in Brooklyn let it heat up in Philadelphia, let them handle their business, just kind of go about your own, but don't for a minute believe that Dame is just going to stay here through hell or high water. Like the, the organization has to continue. Like it doesn't just stop with the offseason moves. 
it is a continuation. Like they have to continually make moves when applicable to con- to improve the roster. And that's going to be something uh, to watch out for as the Blazers uh, move on through this season. They are one and one on the year. We we have already discussed it. Uh, it started on opening night. The Blazers drop a heartbreaker to the Sacramento Kings, 124 to 121, down by as many as 18 in that second half. They rebounded by coming out pretty grumpy and having and ended up having a good time, uh, defeating the defending Western Conference champion Phoenix Suns, 134 to 105. Uh, Sage, the the thing that I think about the most about this first week of Blazer basketball is it's the most Blazer thing that could have possibly happened. You know, you lose, to the, you lose to the team you're you're supposed to just destroy. And then you destroy the team that probably should have given you more fits. Um, give credit given where credit is due. And the Blazers took advantage of an emotional Phoenix Suns team coming into Portland after defeating the Lakers in Los Angeles the night before. They jumped on them early and never really let them up. Uh, it's important that they came out and really got that win, especially after you know a disappointing game against probably a lottery team in Sacramento, but I almost debated putting this for my bad on the week is it just feels a little inconsistent and the, it's not the playoffs. It's not even a plan where it's, you know, do or die winner, go home and you can get locked in for a series or a game. The great teams can stay locked in for 82 season. They know it's next game. We're going to continue to stay focused and we're going to continue to stay locked in. I mean, that's why the Spurs were so good and always so high seated during the Tim, Tony and Manu days. Yes, they're talented, but it's it's all mental when you're up at this level of professional basketball. They're, they're locked in for 82 plus 16. I don't know if we can do that. And th- that's what that's what I think is key, though. And that's what I was uh, alluding to is. Are the Blazers, I think you're going to see this this year. They're, they're, they are going to stub their toe against teams they shouldn't have any business losing, but I think you're going to see some really fun and entertaining performances against teams that they're going to get up to play. It's going to be the intermediate. Like, are you able to win three of four rather than lose three of five? You know, are, are you able to keep momentum going without going into these, you know, we've seen them go into slumps, especially early in the season. And then we've seen them kind of dig their, dig their way out to the seventh or eighth seed. No more that that can't happen. If, if they want to have a successful season, I think they have to approach this like a do or die season. And I know that's hard to get yourself up mentally for, but that's what the great teams do. Like they're just able to go in there and be the favorite that they're, the hunted every single night, but they still go out and get their shit done. And that's going to be something to watch for, honestly, especially this week when you have two games against the, the Kawhi Leonard less Clippers, and then you start a road trip. So yes, you can get up for one night. You can get Chauncey Billups' first career win and you can play angry because I'm sure they were angry. I'm sure they were embarrassed after Sacramento. You can do that one night. Of course, this team's too talented not to. But can you sustain that? Can you bottle that up like, you know, it's your, it's your Gatorade and like getting Gatorade for each game and then going out and doing it? Or is it just going to be, are you going to rest on your laurels 
you're gonna have to wait to get motivated again until you put that type of performance together. It's it's a it's a big difference between Chris Paul and Devin Booker versus Jalen Green against Sangoon. Like it's a huge difference. Like you got two bona fide all stars and one Hall of Famer for sure, or you know a really athletic guard and Kevin Porter Jr. Like it. it I want to see what happens when we play those basement dwellers. Are we going to handle business? Or are we not? Um, one of the things that I've noticed while watching these two games is I think that Yusuf Nurkic is our X factor. The team will go as far as he goes, especially if he can stay healthy for an 82. I think that's going to be the most important thing other than health from Damon CJ. But like, I think Yusuf is our X factor. I mean, hasn't he been the X factor ever since he was acquired? I mean, you go back to 2016, 2017, we get him, we rally for the eight seed. That's Nurk fever. He gets injured. I mean, the games aren't even close against Golden State. The one game that was close was the game he was able to play like two thirds of. I mean, he's he's always been Portland's X factor. That's why it's it's so dangerous that Yusuf Nurkic is the X factor because he has the potential to do so. He's done it before. He's had a five by five game. And he's also had series where he just gets eight alive by Anthony Davis and Omar Ashik. Uh, he's, you know, gets Nico Meritic. Nico Meritic, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like watching him, you see a really good basketball player. Very good. Really good. Is he elite? No. But he is he is really good. And like I think without him on the floor, we are fucking rock awful defensively. We are rock awful in the playmaking aspect of we run some stuff from the high post. Without him, none of that shit works. I think Cody Zeller can do a fine job, but not a good job. Yusuf Nurkic's health. Like, I hate seeing his ass on the floor. Like, when he got hit in the face, I'm like, oh, let's just hope it. it not a concussion. Just say his nose hurts. Like, I, I think his health is going to be of the utmost importance. I think there's two statistical categories that you can look at every single night, and I think it will dictate how Yusuf Nurkic plays. One is rebounding. He's, he's typically been more of a weak rebounding big. In terms of his size and his mobility, he should be dominating the glass at the rate of an Andre Drummond. He's averaging 13 boards this season. That, that is more than Great. acceptable. That is fantastic. That's what you want to see from a seven-foot seven foot nimble big uh, in Yusuf Nurkic. And the second one is his field goal percentage. The, the bugaboo on Nurk, aside from his durability, his inability to finish around the rim and shoot a high percentage, you know, you, you're a big, doesn't matter if you're out shooting a three or you're out in the paint or you're inside the paint. If you're seven feet and you're a starting center in NBA history, you're expected to shoot the ball out in a very effective and efficient clip. So far he has been able to do that. We're talking four of seven against the Phoenix suns and then six of 10 against the Sacramento Kings, uh, 57% uh, on Saturday, 60% on opening night he can stay around that area that is going to benefit the Blazers so much more because you're not going to run offense through him. He's probably only going to get that, that seven to 10 field goal attempts a night. He's got to connect. And I think the more he does connect, the more his teammates are going to look for him on the pick and roll. They might be willing to make that extra pass to get him the ball, to get him an attempt to continue to let him roll because he is a player that feeds off of rhythm and he feeds off of motion. So when he is, you know, getting a tough bucket, he's going to go down and play defense that much 
more intense. So it's important to keep him mentally engaged and locked in for that 82 because he is a player who has very high highs, but also very low lows. So it's getting Nurk to just play at that, that even keel, give us this 13 rebound, 60% field goal production, but just defense and rebounding finish at the rim. That's all we need. We don't need you shooting threes. We don't need you passing like Jokic. Just do those things and Portland will succeed. And you'll get paid handsomely in the offseason. Don't try to go outside of your skill set. So I was watching the Pelican uh, Minnesota game and Antonio Daniels said, give the ball in the post and good things happen. Get the ball to Jonas like, and good things will happen. And good things did happen. We lost, but like, I think it's the same thing with the Blazers. Get the ball in the post to Yusuf and good things will usually happen, whether it be him getting locked in or him him getting that easy bucket to get locked in or drawing a foul on the opposing big. I think there should be a few plays a game where Yusuf gets locked in in the post. Like it's, it's easy buckets. If he can just use his strength and agility to get an easy, easy layup or dunk. And the fact that we still are a jump shooting team, easy, very difficult for us to find. We, we don't we don't score easy. We score really difficult all the time. So to just increase the amount of easy buckets is going to uh, be huge for them. One other thing that stood out to me and kind of made me smile as I was you know perusing Twitter after the game was everyone just in admiration of Nasir Little. And I'm like, welcome to the party. I've been uh, I've been leading that bandwagon since we drafted Nasir. And really, there was a stretch during his rookie year before the pandemic hit where Dame was on his torrid, torrid tear. I mean, he was on that, that 10 to 15 game tear. But we were so banged up that year that Nasir Little got a lot of playing time in spurts. Those, those, the Nico Batum starts? those Batum starts, but he was just so intelligent off the ball. He he knew where to be and Dame caught him for a couple of lobs. And I'm like, that stands out to me. We don't just have players that know how to move without the basketball. Usually it's just stand around and watch Dame and CJ dribble the ball, you know, into oblivion. But Nasir Little was being proactive and he got rewarded for it. And, and you saw the intelligence, you saw the athleticism, you saw the emotion, and then he started to put together the three-point shot. Like his shot looks more compact. It looks like it should go in more often. And he's had those bouts of whether it was COVID or with the, um, I think it's something with his kidneys. He had something pretty scary in the bubble that really limited his ability to continue to see time on the court. But, you know, knock on wood, he's healthy now. And he looks like he's part of that nine-man rotation And it's just been so wonderful to see him really blossom because I I think every team needs that energizer bunny. You need someone who's going to like the Spurs have had it for so long up until this season with, with a guy like Patty Mills. Um, The Pacers have it with TJ McConnell. Like you just have a guy who comes in and he's going to go all out 110%. And he's going to get the, the, your teammates fired up. He's going to get the fans fired up. He's just going to uplift everyone. And you, you just see his ability to finish on the break. He can like contour his body. He's he's playing with so much confidence right now that he he knows he has a role. He knows he's going to get his 20 plus minutes a night. And when you give young players a defined role and you allow them to make some mistakes and play through that, 
I think you're going to see that third year breakthrough that we've seen from guys like, you know, Jake Lehman or Pat Connaughton and Gary Trent Jr. Like, I, I just, I think you're going to see a really big season from Nasir Little. And I think I said this uh, along with you, he's the future starting small forward of this team. And if it was up to me, he would be starting right now. He gives you that size that we've been missing since uh, Mo Harkless was, was moved to Miami. Um, just wonderful to see Nasir Little get an opportunity and, and take advantage of it. Seeing his aggressiveness, seeing Nasir's aggressiveness was re- a really beautiful thing to see. We haven't really seen a guy on transition be able to sprint up the court for a dunk or, you know, an easy shot in a long time. So he, seeing him just sprint as soon as Yusuf gets the rebound to the to our basket is huge. And I think that it's going to be a lot of easy assists for Dame. Once he gets the pass from Yusuf, just, just outlet it to Nasir and let him work because that athleticism is special. What do you what player do you think his 99th percentile outcome is? Because I think it's Iguodala playmaking ability that I know he has. I think the athleticism, the IQ, the brain power, it speaks more Iguodala to me than I've seen a lot of Gerald Wallace comps. I don't see the Gerald Wallace comps. Gerald Wallace could not throw the ball in the ocean. And while he was in Portland in his past his prime. I mean, Gerald Wallace was never known as a shooter. He was, he was an athletic scrapper um, with, with Sacramento and with, with, with Charlotte. Like he would, you know, junkyard dog, like that's, his game was predecessor. His game was just built on athleticism. And I think that's why he kind of fell off after he turned, you know, 30. Uh, the 99th comp, I remember you asking me this a while ago. And my answer was a combination of Phoenix Suns, Sean Marion, and Indiana Pacers were on our test, where you just have he has the body of our test. Like he he is a, a thick, strong, small forward. I think he's got fantastic defensive potential. Marion's shot wasn't pretty, but it was effective. I think Nasir can be as effective from three as Sean Marion, and I think he could finish on the break like Sean Marion. So, uh, did those... Matrix have the playmaking though? No, but our tested from from uh, those couple years in India. I mean, he was an MVP candidate in India. Like he he was the best shooting guard in the game for two seasons. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I just think that this the 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 playmaking ability just speaks in the Iguodala type of archetype of a, of the, of a wing instead of the, the Marion Artest combination. But I, I think that he can really be a great player in this league if he gets consistent run. And this reminds me of a question that we got on Twitter. So this is from Catherine. If Norman's out for a bit, who should take his starting position? I think we have the same player, but I would definitely He's already been ruled out for the Clippers game tomorrow. Woj reported that it doesn't seem that the, the Blazers avoided a serious injury, but that doesn't mean that could it's not either. a small one. <laughs> yeah. And and we've seen in Portland where Zach Collins gets hurt and all of a sudden he's out for the season. Um, I mean, it just, who knows how long it, it happens, but that's one of the things about this roster Sage is it's not very deep. And Norman Powell is one of the best players on this roster. So losing him is going to be tough. 
But I, I think the clear cut answer is Nasir Little. There, there's no if, ands, or buts about it for me. I cannot be persuaded out of any other response. What, what about you? Yeah, it's 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 the same shit. Like Nasir is appropriate height for a a small forward. One of the biggest issues with the Blazers is that we're small. So having an appropriate size three to go with the small four and the big five makes us just like as a lineup more more diverse in skill set. I do think that there's a possibility that Nasir is the first person or the first person on the bench off, off that starting unit to play his normal uh, second unit run because I think he's pretty important to what we're doing with the two young guns off the bench. So I could definitely see a world where he plays like the first five minutes, gets on the bench, then finishes the first and then goes into the half of the second or something. It's going to be a different, it's going to be a, a new challenge for Chauncey because I seriously doubt he's did rotations in uh, Los Angeles. So I think the proper use of Nasir is important, but I definitely think that Nasir gets the first uh, crack at this starting small forward while, uh, while, while Norman is out. Yeah, you know, I've before the season even started, I was, you know, talking with you. I, I've I've been championing a, a lineup of Dame, Norm, Nasir. I've been wanting Ben Simmons and then somebody at five just to have the roster balance, the proper size. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Blazers do have some success with a larger, more athletic lineup. And I know CJ's playing really well right now. I I, I get that. But but I do think the Blazers to win and win in springtime when that's playoff basketball, they're going to need to be able to stop stop ball. They're going to be able to need to defend, rebound, and that takes size. And I'm really excited for Nasir to get. I hopefully he will get this opportunity and he'll make the most of it because you know he's our last first round pick that we've had. Like, and if I'm not saying you trade Nasir Little, but it, the, the good teams always have those young players that are desirable for other teams. That's how big deals get done. And every Blazer fan will say, we still need that other star next to Damian Lillard. So it, it doesn't hurt to raise the value of your assets. Mm. So who are we playing in the next week? Clippers. Grizzlies. Grizzlies. At uh, Clippers again. That's and then gross. you start the road trip against the uh, Charlotte Hornets. You were about to say New Orleans. Um, so Nas is going to guard Paul George, probably John Morant, Paul George again, and then Lamelo Ball. Right? Is that fair to him though? Paul George makes sense because it's at least height appropriate, but Dame needs to do some work. Like, come on, you have to guard John Morant. Like, that's your job. But John Morant's so athletic. I think that. Nasir would have the best chance to guard him. Who's going to guard Dylan Brooks then? Dylan Brooks hasn't played yet. Is he injured? Yes. Who's their starting to Desmond? Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, and they've stopped playing uh, Kyle Anderson so many minutes. So it's, it, they, they've been playing a lot of uh, shit, Melton and Bain, which is like a, that's like a real NBA team. <laughs> but so, I, I think that it would be if I was the coach, I would have da- Damien on Desmond. I think the coaching staff has to be 
cautious of throwing too much at Nasir Little, though. When it comes to a young player, you want to put them in positions to succeed so they build up their confidence and they continue to build up their confidence to where if they do fail, they still have so much confidence in their abilities that they're able to bounce back. I've seen so many young players across sports where they get their shot and the staff just throws them to the wolves and they they sink. It's too much for them to handle at once. And you experience failure when you're not mentally ready to experience failure and you really never bounce back or it takes a long time to get your swagger back. I mean, you see a lot with, with rookie Reggie quarter Jackson. with rookie quarterbacks, for for example. Like they just they're not they're not ready for that. So I would be a little cautious. I think you may even see Covington go on on Paul George. Um, but um that, that's what I would say. Maybe in spurts, he can guard those players, but to be like, hey, you are now our top perimeter defender, uh, that may be just a little too much too soon for Nasir. Like, continue this positive wave of momentum, and then hopefully by January, February, he's ready to take that nightly task because mentally, that that is a lot to prepare for. Like, going into a game, all of the great defenders know. I'm going to put my entire effort and energy into stopping you. And it takes a lot of focus and mental fortitude. Nasir Little is just now getting his real first run. So just preaching a little cautiousness when it comes to what they throw at Nasir Little. Nasir was guarding Devin Booker uh, for Devin's entire second. Uh, quarter run i mean I, th- I think that because we have limited players he's going to put, be put on those elite players just because of who else do we have that really has the ability to play defense on those guys so it might not be the full 36 minute rotation of Nas on that guy but it has to be some sometime he's on jaw and I mean, I think I think luckily, Lamelo's his size and Paul George is his size. So the only one that would be awkward size wise would be John Morant. The other two players is like they're at they're the same size guy. So I, I you know, like it, it's a lot to put on them. It but- is, and it it did work against Phoenix. Portland did have a, a nice lead and they had momentum. They had the home crowd behind them. So probably didn't feel as daunting, but those three players you mentioned that he could potentially guard have the ability to humble him very quickly. So they're going to humble every person on our team. (laughs) I I understand that, but this is more of just Nasir Little versus the Trailblazers. Like Nas has the potential to elevate the standard of play in Portland. So Nas is a player you're not looking at how he's producing now, but how he could produce in April or May. But to get him to that level, you can't have him fail and just you can't lose him now. So something you have to build Nas up. I don't care if Ben McLemore or you know Tony Snell. No, no offense to either of those. I don't care if those types of players get torched. They don't have the potential to lead this team even to greater heights than. A, win. a player like Nas. So that, that's where I'm, I'm thinking of like Nas has the ability. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but he has the ability to change the outcome of 
Portland's entire season. Yeah, but we're limited in our assets. I think that he's going to have to spend some time on those guys. Spend some time, but yeah. I, I think this is on Chauncey Billups and the rest of the coaching staff to empower him and save him from himself. Like, this is on Chauncey to really, like, make him realize that this is this is his goal. We don't really need you to drive if you're playing with a starting unit. What you have to focus on is stopping that man in front of you. So if if this is a real test on Chauncey to see if he can be that head coach that Neil O'Shea advertised him as. So one thing that I've been a little concerned about is the performance of Damian Lillard, specifically from beyond the arc. Uh, two of seven against the Suns and then a woeful 0 of nine against the Sacramento Kings. He doesn't seem to be up to his his level of play. And yes, I know it's just two games, but it kind of got me thinking, do you think playing in the Olympics, getting married, going through a pandemic like we all are, and then having to constantly answer to the media about where you're going to play having your name in reports that you may or may not have said all summer long being the topic of on everyone's mind about where you're going to be playing basketball. Do you think as strong as mentally that Damien Lillard, Lillard is that maybe it's just like, it's a it's lot for anybody, him? man. Yeah. That's, that's like, a lot for everybody. Just... Uh, like at the end of the day, all of these basketball players that we watch are human beings. There's other things that people are going through other than the 82 games they play for our entertainment and enjoyment. So, yeah, that probably does have something to do with his inefficiencies from the three-point line. I think that when you're talking about a guy with the character and the mentality of Damian Lillard, you kind of just are waiting for that slump to be over. So, if this was a, another person, I would be a little bit more nervous, but it is Damian Lillard. I think it will hit, he will hit his, uh, he will positively regress to the point where it's like, it's up to his standards and it's past our standards. Dribble pass, shoot. Do you like Damian Lillard taking that last shot against the Sacramento Kings, despite being 0 of 8 and CJ McCollum being red hot? I need to explain. I think that his mentality is that he's going to make this shot. So I understand what he did, but I think CJ McCollum was feeling himself and you probably give it to the guy who thinks that the, hoop is the size of an ocean right now but i get that dame has the confidence in himself to think that i'm making this shot 100 but if, if you were given given me that chance if this was nba 2k i would have given it to the guy with takeover and cj mccullum yeah i, I think I'll, I'll i'll dribble that um i am not upset at all that damian lillard one of the most clutch performers in, in history of basketball decided to shoot that he, he got a pretty decent look off, especially with the Kings not deciding to foul. And maybe CJ wasn't probably expecting the ball either to, to be completely honest. And so you don't want to catch him off guard. And again, in a perfect world, 
he passes it, CJ makes it, or or he makes the shot. But I think you would be getting criticism if he passed it to CJ and CJ missed. Everyone would be saying, why didn't Damian Lillard take that final shot? It's kind so of a lose-lose situation. It's a lose-lose situation unless that ball finds the bottom of the net, and, and it didn't. It Shit happens, man. I remember last year we were flabbergasted that his shot that he missed against these very Kings. Different team, obviously, but same name. It rimmed out. So the, the fact that we have so much confidence in him, you can only imagine the confidence he has for himself. All right, Sage, do you want to get to the rest of our fan questions before looking ahead uh, at the next week of basketball? Let's do it. All right. I have a couple that came in just after the buzzer uh, expired before last week's podcast. So we have two questions from Rip Village. We'll get to those right now. First one, beyond wins and losses and obvious uh, stat counting, what less obvious things are you looking for when you're evaluating the team's progress in the early part of the season? Hmm. Hmm. And we're talking just statistically? Or can it be an eye thing? It can be tangible or intangible. I think that the level of communication defensively is what I look for with the team that has the the narrative of being god awful. So the uh, the participation, the second rotations, the third rotate, the third efforts, the talking is kind of what I look at when I watch them defensively. And then I always look at usage rates from our for our big four if we include Norm in it. So I, I that's something that I look for, you know when I'm looking at stats is, okay, who's handling the ball more? What happens? Um, so yeah, usage rate and defensive effort. Mine's going to be consistency and consistency across three elements. The first one being the team's win-loss performances. I know we said beyond wins and losses, but consistency in the sense of you're not losing to Sacramento, but then going out and beating Phoenix. Like you play – 29 other teams they're all a mixed bag of elite good bad really bad and mediocre City Thunder. <laughs> yeah you, you have just a ton of different types of teams more often than not are you going to go out and play a consistent level of basketball i don't need you to beat the phoenix suns by 30 points every night because i know that's not going to happen but are you competitive on the road are you competitive on the second night of back-to-backs are you just going to mail it in uh, for a team facing this amount of pressure, how, how are you performing? Like close losses in this sense do matter. I, I don't think like the sign of a team going downhill is they're just getting blitzed and blown out and, and the game's over. And you can, you can really see that happening, you know, game after game. So consistency in terms of their, their performance, two players, consistency will determine the outcome of the season. First, we've talked about ad nauseum to Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, the second one is CJ McCollum. I know he was your good for this week and he has been, uh, lights out, you know, 34 points against the Sacramento Kings. And he followed that up with 28 points against the, uh, Phoenix suns, but Sage, we've been here before with CJ. He started out red hot last year before going down with that foot injury. And it got to a point where he was not able to take advantage of a depleted Denver nugget backcourt. And he was almost unplayable if we're being honest against the Denver nuggets in that playoff series. We we've seen him win series against the Denver nuggets in 2019. We've seen him go the, go the opposite way where he's chucking to, to be, to be quite honest. So 
CJ McCollum is too talented of a basketball player to have that much variance. So that's what I'll be watching from CJ. I know it's got to be tough mentally for him because he he hears the rumors. He he knows what's going on in Philadelphia. He knows if Portland makes a trade for Ben Simmons, he will be the one going to the city of brotherly love. And he's laid down some major roots in the Rose City. So that cannot be easy. But we've, again, we, we've seen this with CJ. Like, is he going to be an all-star or is he just going to play like an all-star? There, there's two different, that, that those are two different sides of the coin. One is consistency and bringing it every single night. The second one is every three games, I'm going to have 30, 35 points. And you're going to remember how talented I am. And you might have to pay attention to me next game. Being an all-star is, yes, you're on that scouting report and everyone knows about you and they're paying a whole lot of attention to you. They take you seriously. If Portland can get this product, and we've, you know, this is, again, ad nauseum. If Portland can get the production they're getting from Yusuf and CJ, they're going to be a dangerous team. But how, again, the objective side is saying, how long have we been saying this? How long has that been the big three? That, that big three hasn't hasn't won very many playoff games together. So it, it's just going to be a, you know, prove it. It's the prove it type season in Portland, if, if you ask me. I would disagree with you that we haven't seen this, CJ. The way, the way that he is playing so versatilely, I, I've never seen CJ play like this, where he's driving and he's hitting movement threes. He, you know, he, most of his damage throughout his career has been through dribbling it and getting his own shot, you know, using a complex series of dribble moves to get him enough space. This CJ isn't really doing that. He's scoring in a lot of versatile uh, ways. So if he can continue to hit his movement threes, continue to dribble drive, get to the, the lane and make a good decision, I think that this is a CJ McCollum that we haven't seen before. So he's played to play devil's advocate here. He's played about 65 minutes and taken 43 shots. He's got to the line twice. He's got to get to the line. He, I, I, I know you said he's been I, driving, but he's got to get to the line because he's going to have off shooting nights just like Dame does, but Dame's able to get 10, 11, 12 times to the night. And that's where he's able to slow the game down get those points on the board, calm, reset, everything. For CJ to become that all-star type of guard, we've seen Booker do it. We've seen Beal do it. You know, we've seen Donovan Mitchell now start to kind of take that, that Western Conference reign. I need to see him get to the guard. Again, we're paying the dude $30 million. He's their second-best player. Yes, he's doing things more versatile, but that's, that's the thing I'm going to be looking at. Free-throw attempts, get to that line. He's a good free-throw shooter, too. I think that this is the wrong year for you to look for that statistic because what I've seen in the refereeing this year, they're letting these players play. There's more fouls on offensive charges than there is on offensive drives to the basket. So I think that currently that's going to be a bad statistic for you to look at. It might positively regress later in the year, but for right now, they, these these refs are swallowing their whistles to a, a point where it's like, oh, he legitimately got fouled and they didn't call shit. So uh, this might be the wrong time in the wrong year for you to to look at free throws. Because I bet you if it was last year and CJ was playing like this, he'd probably get five or six a, a game. That's where he needs to be. You know, he's I, I still think he needs to. The black and white refs need to be able to call these fouls because I yeah. 
like I haven't heard this many NBA players just scream, this guy fucking sucks <laughs> in these I mean, few I, games. I tend to enjoy that type of basketball. I don't want to watch watch it shoot free throws. So in that sense, I, I am all for it. Let the game free for a free flow. You know, I, I tuned into a couple of postseason baseball games and I'm like, God damn, this thing is still on. I like the the, the quicker let's let's get the show on the road. We got 82 of these. Let's let's get to going. Uh, we have one more question from Rip Village. They want to know. Do you think so? Speaking of Damon CJ, do you think Damon CJ can change their spots this year? So, example, can Dame play off ball? Can he spend more energy defensively? Will they be okay playing less minutes? Um, do you think they can adjust how they play this year? You've already talked about CJ. But what about Dame? We saw them both play about 40 minutes against Sacramento, which is not a good sign uh, because they tend to wear down in, in the postseason. So do you think the Blazers have the depth to limit their minutes? Can they start to blow out teams and rest them like they did against Phoenix? Or do you think it's going to be another grit and grind? Dame and CJ are going to lead the league in miles ran, minutes played, like, like we've seen really throughout their entire 10 years. I don't get people's fixation with Dame off ball. I think that's a bad, uh, I think that's a bad move to put. Like he can't play off ball. He legitimately can't. We watched him in the Olympics with 11 of the other greatest NBA players Mm -hmm. and he struggled mightily. He's, he's not Curry in that sense. Like that's just not in his wheelhouse and it never will be. Yeah. I, I think that putting him in a position for somebody else to, uh, feed him, um, is a bad move basketball wise, but let's look at something. These stats are bad. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I, I, I think according to the statistics from the last two games, who do you think our top three usage players are in order? CJ is number one. Yep. Yusuf and Dame. No, Norman and Dame. So, okay. Even the statistics are saying that he's changing the way he's playing. He might not be off balling it. And I think that's the right decision for Chauncey Billups to do. I, I, I firmly believe the best thing to do is put the hands, put the ball in the hands of your best basketball player. Um, so far this year, he is doing a good job of letting CJ and Norman cook. So I think that he has changed for as much as I think is beneficial to the team. I don't want to see Anthony Simons running the lead, running the offense while Dame is chilling off ball on the right corner. That just is a bad statistical decision. So, according to NBA Wowie, the two games that we played, CJ and Norm have been a bigger feature of the offense than Damian Lillard. With that said, Damian Lillard is still having the ball in his hands quite a bit. Let's look ahead to this week in a little bit different uh, format than we normally do. Sage, we play the Clippers twice. The Grizzlies, a uh, surprisingly really good Memphis Grizzly team, uh, they had a grown-up win on the road against the Clippers and j- took the Lakers down to the wire uh, in Staples tonight. John Morant is playing out of his mind. And then you start this long road trip in Charlotte against uh, a team that absolutely blasted you last year in, in Charlotte. LaMelo ball is uh, a walking highlight that they're young, they're fun, they're athletic. Um, Let's start with the Clippers because Portland plays them tomorrow in Los Angeles at seven 30 and then gets them back in Portland 
on Friday at seven o'clock. The Clippers are a team. They got a really good win against the Phoenix Suns uh, on the road in, in the Valley of the Sun. They are still without Kawhi Leonard. What have you seen from the Clippers? And what's one thing that the Blazers, uh, that everyone should, should look out for when, when they're watching this game against the Clippers? Both of these games, excuse me, against the Clippers. Losing Patrick Beverly is going to be a bigger issue than the Clippers brass really believe right now. So they've replaced Eric Bledsoe in the lead, in the lineup for Patrick Beverly. And watching Eric Bledsoe last year, I can say that he definitively sucks in the, the position that he was put in as a spacer. Now he's kind of in a better, better uh, situation than last year, but he's still not the player that he was when he was labeled mini LeBron. So is, is that sidebar? Is that one of the most ludicrous nicknames of all time? It's ridiculous. I think that he, he's a good, he, at his peak, he was a good player, but him sucking so much in the playoffs made him look awful. Uh, I think that we need to take advantage of his aggressiveness against one of our two guards. Um, their rotations are kind of weird. You know, you would imagine that off the bench, you'd see Luke Kennard, but they keep trying to put Justice Winslow in to run point. Um, so keep an eye out against this team for some players that you're like, he's still in the league. They did not play Justice Winslow in their last loss on didn't? Sunday or Saturday, excuse me. Really? Because I remember him in uh, playing point guard shit. Against Phoenix. Yeah. It, 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 they have a very weird rotation of wings. Not particularly great, but they are sort of NBA players. Yeah. But speaking, I'm, I'm excited to see Damian take advantage of Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. Speaking of consistency, these are two games Portland absolutely should win. Paul George in, in Los Angeles or in Portland? Both. Los Angeles is a wounded team right now without Kawhi Leonard. They have the perfect starting backcourt against Portland because they also play a small backcourt in Reggie Jackson and Eric Bledsoe. The Blazers should not get hurt defensively. Yes, not having Norman Powell for those two games is going to be difficult, but these are the games where Damian Lillard earns his money. There, there's no Kawhi Leonard out there. There's no Kawhi Paul George duo. So if you maybe get by one, the other one's waiting for you. Paul George can't do everything. And they're going to have to pace him at a certain point because they can't wear him down while they wait for Kawhi Leonard to get healthy. So these aren't the Clippers of a couple of years ago, even last year, where probably an elite defensive team. Yes, they have some vets, but as you mentioned, Pat and they Beverly, don't have Serge Ibaka, so everybody on that team is quiet as hell. Exactly, like you shouldn't be worried about Zubac, Marcus Moore, Senior, Isaiah Hartenstein. Like they don't even. I like that they have any... two big bigs for who we have at center. Yeah, I think the game's going to come down to two things. So if I'm watching, we talked about it. Dame's been struggling this year. I prefer Damian Lillard to set the table himself to start games because it draws the attention of the defense and it opens up uh, spots on the floor for his role players to get easier looks. And then you can start feeding them. And then it becomes a pick your poison for the defense. This is a game where you need Damian Lillard to come out and put his foot down. 
They have nobody who can stop him from getting to where he wants. Um, on the opposite side of the floor, I think it's going to be, you know, you saw Portland really struggle from three against the Sacramento Kings. This is a team that can shoot the lights out from downtown. So you have to watch out for the Luke Canards. You have to watch out for Nick Batum, Terrence Mann, uh, Reggie Jackson. I mean, this is still is a similar team that knocked out the Utah Jazz in the, in the conference semifinals. So you do have to respect them. But it, if, if I'm being honest, if Portland has dreams of being a, a at least a four seed and get home court advantage they have to win this you got it you got you got to take advantage of this um let's talk about the game that i'm most excited about it's nationally televised on espn you get to watch it get to watch it finally and it's john morant and this young hungry memphis grizzly team um he has been putting on an absolute clinic this year it's a team that made it to the playoffs last year, gave the Utah Jazz all they could handle. They made a couple of moves. They got your guy, Steven Adams. Not uh, my in the guy. Middle. He <laughs> no. was your guy for a bit. He was your guy for a bit. What, what are you watching out for? I mean, you've got a lot of young players that you really like on this roster in Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. Um, what should Blazer fans be on the lookout for? Uh, I, I think one thing I, I would I would add is we talked about this on text and you said, you know, why why aren't they playing drop coverage on De'Aaron Fox? And it was almost like drop coverage was saying Voldemort out yes, loud. And it, yes. it's, it's the worst thing in the world. And I was like, this is a strategy that you should you should have tried against De'Aaron, make him beat you from downtown. John Morant's the same way. Same you know, shit, yeah. He can beat you. He did it against the Golden State Warriors in the play-in. They played drop coverage. He happened to be on that night. But I think your best bet is keeping John Morant from using his hyper-athleticism and making a poster dunk, instead forcing him to become a perimeter-oriented jump shooter. The Brook Lopez in with the Bucks, he didn't play drop coverage bad. His guards screwed him. It wasn't Brooke Lopez screwing the Bucks. It was Drew Holiday and uh, Chris Middleton screwing Brooke Lopez. So it's a it's a def, it's a it's a balanced play. But I think that the Blazers need to play drop coverage against John Morant because dude's athletic as hell. Um, force him to shoot. <laughs> And he is coming off of a five for seven shooting performance from downtown. Again. I mean, if he goes five for seven against us, you tip your hat and go and, on to the Clippers. You know what I mean? We've talked about this. If John, John Morant's one of the, the few players in this league that if you think of, okay, if they just do this, they're going to be unstoppable. You know, you talk about Giannis. If Giannis develops just even a reliable jumper, I mean, close the league down, it, it's over. John Morant is is close to that. If if with him in the next four to five years, where he is at his peak athletically, if he gets a three point shot, uh, it, it's going to be a very entertaining time for uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. They're going to get a ton more national televised games because this player is, is special. But like like you mentioned, Sage, I think with the Memphis Grizzlies, you're going to have to defend the arc. Uh, and we, yeah, I mean, Dez and all Jared those Jackson shooters. Jr. Uh, all those shooters. We have struggled with them and they have a lot of size. And I think Portland is going to struggle against teams with, with size. I mean, you look at Kyle Anderson, who played 20 minutes tonight, didn't play particularly well. Um, he's he's kind of an inconsistent player, but he could handle the rock. He's six eight, six nine. They've got two really solid young backup bigs in Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman. 
it's one of those games where you're already probably going to be without Norman Powell. We've talked about this. Portland has really no size after Yusuf Nurkic and Cody Zeller. So if Nurk gets into quick foul trouble, it could be a game changer for the Blazers. So that's what I would watch out for. Memphis could just do an assembly line of bigs coming out and in, out and in. We have two. This game will be determined by Nurkic staying out of foul trouble and who can win the battle on the backboard. Mm. I would say that If I knew I I'd take health out of it, but if I knew that Zion Williamson was going to play this hard, sorry, if he was going to play this hard, I would take John Morant in a second. That's how good I think John Morant is. I think that his mentality is alpha. He's going to play hard. He's going to represent his team. I don't know if Zion Williamson is going to sign his second contract. I know from who John Morant is, He's signing that second and probably third for his team. So that is the skill set and the talent that we are talking about in, in, in this player. Um, obviously, it's going to be a mix of making sure that he is a shooter instead of a driver and making sure that the guys that can shoot for this Memphis Grizzlies team have a hand in their face. It's going to be a lot of communication, which puts a lot of pressure on this team because Sometimes we're pretty quiet defensively, but they have to be able to communicate and work on rotations because when you have a guy like John Morant, you need to have that second rotation to stop him. So helping the helper is going to be huge. I think because of the, the bigs that Memphis can just throw out at you that are talented and smart and overpaid with Steven Adams, I think that they'll beat the Clippers twice and then lose the Memphis Grizzlies once. And then the last game uh, to keep an eye out on is on Halloween. It starts a, a road trip for the Blazers uh, against the, the Charlotte Hornets, a team that just has a whole heck of a lot of talent, albeit young talent. Uh, they made some moves this summer, bringing in Mason Plumlee. Uh, Kelly Oubre is now on that roster. And clearly the, the talk of the town is the rookie of the year in LaMelo Ball. He's got a, you know, a running mate on, on the wing in, in Miles Bridges. Uh, this is a team that I think I think Trailblazer teams in the past probably lose to. Easy. Um, yeah. It's a, we saw it last year, Sage. The game got away quick, and they didn't. I, I believe they, they were out without four or five of their top players. The Martin so. Twins were kicking our ass. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those. This is, is, there's a certain amount of games that you circle on the roster, and this is like, okay, I have this preconceived notion about this current Trailblazer team. I'm going to circle a few games. These are my prove it games. Prove me wrong, because right now, Blazer teams in the past were probably going to get taken back to the woodshed. You know, how serious are they going to be, especially early in the season, to start a road trip off in a positive note? Because not only is it starting off of a road trip, but then you have to go to Philadelphia the, the night afterwards. And, of course, you've got Ben Simmons. You've got all that drama. You've got a beast in Joel Embiid. And the Philadelphia 76ers traditionally play very well on their home floor. Jojo was a game time decision today. So he was uh we are looking ahead to November 1st. I'm just yeah, yes. 
either way, you don't want to start that road trip 0-2. How do you not start 0-2? You start 1-0. So how does Portland play? It's it's a young team with a lot of energy. You're going into their gym. You're flying across country. How focused are you? Are you still going to have Norman Powell? Who knows the severity of that? Sage, the Hornets are a young athletic bunch. What should our fans be uh, watching out for in this one? I mean, LaMelo Ball is just a magician. Um, Miles Bridges has played some incredible ball. I think he scored 30 in the last two. So it's really putting, uh, it's really making the Hornets management look bad for not giving him his extension. Um, But I think that LaMelo is the key to that team. The way he can visualize the court and see where players are going to be and where they're going to is going to be a big thing. Um, putting pressure on him, make him make LaMelo feel you feel your presence. And I think if we start out quick, that can be demoralizing to a young team that hasn't really been a part of a winning season. So I, I would say start fast and then make LaMelo realize that you're there. I would say if, if you're able to, I know it's Halloween, tune in. Uh, the NBA had all of the current kind of stars recreate iconic moments in NBA history. Uh, DeMar DeRozan uh, dressed up as Clyde Drexler. Damian Lillard dressed up as MJ for the for the, the final shot in, in Utah. Um, LaMelo Ball was Magic Johnson, and I think that's so appropriate. Mm-hmm. I've seen some wizardry from LaMelo on the break. He's tall, just like Magic. He's got that swagger, that flair. He is must-see TV. So, and you only get to see this kid twice. I mean, the Hornets are, are not on national TV as much as they probably should, or they probably will be, be coming up because LaMelo Ball is nothing like Lonzo. He's in your, <laughs> don't Don't let that... Yeah, creep into your your mind. Like this kid is must see TV. Lamelo's an alpha, future super duper star. Lonzo's the fourth option on his Chicago team. I think turnovers are what I would watch out for because mm-hmm. if Charlotte's able to get on the break, it's over. It's a bad. It's a bad time. They, they are a team that thrives in scoring off, off the break, off of turnovers. Uh, it gets the crowd going. It's demoralizing for the opponent. So that, that's what I would watch out for. And this is um, in Charlotte, correct? It is in Charlotte. It's a weird three-game road trip where Portland plays back-to-back, Charlotte, Philadelphia. Then they start heading back west by stopping in Cleveland. And then they play the Pacers at home. They play Pacers in Portland, so it's that a, seems like a bad use of gas or whatever. It's a really it takes odd road trip, um, and it's also scary playing a team like the Cavaliers last because you should beat them, but you know it's the last game of a road trip, so you may be having eyes on home. Could you it, imagine Norman Powell defending Lowry Market at, at the three? Because they play Lowry. You play Lowry, Evan, and uh, Jarrett. That that team is the antithesis of us. I think that should do it for this episode. So what, Sage. what are we doing? The uh, prediction game. I'm not going to do predictions. I mean, you can make your. I, I just haven't been on. I, I've been so terrible these last few years. It's not, especially this early in the season when I haven't had a chance to really. Have seen. Still, like you're using, you're using last year as a really big data point. I say we go three and one. 
No, th- I think if, if Portland goes three and one, you take that and run with it. Um, I think anytime this team is able to stay above the 500 mark and continue to go higher and higher and higher where you're in conversation for that three, four five seed, like that's where this team needs to be given, given the state of the West, like right now, like you always have to be on the prowl, like the warriors are playing like the warriors are of old. However, the Lakers look old and wounded. They look susceptible to, you could maybe pass them. If you really wanted to, you could pass them in the regular season standings. (laughs) Are you going to take advantage of that? Like, I I know it's early and Lakers and Kawhi being out and Denver not having Jamal Murray. You know, I know it's early, but when they count those standings in April, every game has the same amount of weight. doesn't matter if you play it in October or April. Does Portland have that mindset? That's going to be the theme, I think, of the first month and a half, two months for for the Blazers. I just don't think they can afford to have these feel-out games, these inconsistencies. Um, they got to be all about their business. They got to be serious about this because time's, time's ticking. Absolutely. So we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Hey, everybody. Let's go.